0: when we say, Black Lives Matter.
1: Welcome to the Truth to Power show on Radio for Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan, and with us today is co-host, Scott Raven. Welcome, Scott. Greetings, VJ.
0: How are you today?
1: Good. Doing well. Doing well. So we have a special guest today calling in, um, Dominique M. Carson, who is a freelance journalist, researcher, massage therapist, writer, reporter, and author. Carson's work has been featured in several publications, including Ebony.com, The Griot, NBC News, uh, SingersRoom.com, SoulTrain.com, Education Update, and Brooklyn News Media Outlets. She has conducted interviews with over 100 noble figures in entertainment. Um, Welcome, Dominique.
2: Thank you so much for having me, you guys.
1: Thank you, thank you. Um, So why don't we start the conversation off a little bit about um, purpose and meaning in life. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your life journey and how you found uh, you know, a purpose and uh meaning while, while on this earth.
2: Okay. So I always knew that the true definition of success, um, is knowing God, knowing who I am and what is my purpose. So that's what I strive to live for as I transition, um, to young adulthood and adulthood. Now that I'm 30, I understood my purpose is to help others and give back to others through my words and through my hands. Um, I've had a very interesting journey growing up. I'm from Brooklyn, born and raised in Brooklyn, East New York, Brooklyn, to be exact. I'm no longer living in New York. I'm in Virginia Beach, but New York City is always home to me. I um I was deaf as a, I was deaf as a child up until four years of my life, and then when my hearing came back, I already knew I had purpose. Like my purpose was just getting started. The fact that I was able to overcome. Um, that deficiency or that hearing delay due to God's grace, I already knew that there was another chance for me to make something of myself, and that kind of like really strengthened my character and, you know, my drive and my fight because of what, you know, I've been through earlier. Even though I wasn't aware of that hearing deficiency, you know, I had a lot of people from my mother my grandmother to other extended relatives that told me that even though I was in that place, I was still very observant. I was very aware, very a happy child. So, and then, Writing came into my life when I was just really going through a lot of challenges in my childhood. There was some challenges, and I just needed something to vent and and express myself. And writing became that form of expression. It was my therapeutic drug. Um, And I was still I was still a child, like I was still doing childhood things. But writing just gave me an opportunity to voice my opinion, voice my concerns, and it was something that I was controlled that I had control versus being a kid, you know, you have to do what people are telling you to do. Your parents tell you to do, but writing, it just kind of gave me that freedom to be free and to be fluid and to be open.
0: Great, Yeah. Totally can, can relate then, to that. And, then and everything.
2: massage came and then massage came later. Yeah. Um, as a teenager.
1: Yeah. I'd like to explore the writing a little bit. Yeah. The we'll themes, start with the writing. You we'll know, start the writing and the themes of the writing and what ideas come up, what um, particular uh, obsessions you have as a writer
2: Okay. So writing started, I was eight years old. The first piece of writing I did, I wrote a letter to my mother. That was the first piece of writing I did. And I told her I understood why she had to be hard on me. Um, and I understood where her love came from as an eight year old. And then I just transitioned to poetry, short stories. I have a lot of creative people in my family. My uncle Ricky, um he's like the creative innovator in our family encouraged me to pursue writing and then his daughters my cousins Yanni and Fatima they're already writers as well and they were you know they were the cousins that really challenged my my creativity as a writer, different people I should look into. I looked into Alice Walker, Sona Sanchez, Maya Angelou, who was my favorite poet of all time. I also looked into a lot of children's books, Judy Bloom, um, V.C. Andrews, especially for young adults. So I was always around those cousins that really just challenged, you know, my way of thinking and life and, you know, literature. And then my grandmother, she used to have a sun porch of all different, African American authors as well. So I got into Bernice McFadden, I got into Connie Briscoe, um, just a lot of black authors that were kind of like, you know, didn't get that recognition, but they were talented writers. And um, God bless Eric Jerome Dickey. That was another author I got into, Elon Harris. So a lot of these authors i was just helping me to figure out ways to p- express myself and you know be creative and then also with the poetry i did a lot of open mics i did a lot of performances i did a lot of um spoken word and praise dance where i was able to express my poetry through praise dance
1: great so, so, so even writing Adam, was the
2: stepping oh. stone to do all those things
1: yeah yeah scott
0: no, I was just going to say I, I, thank you for sharing all those those influences and, and part of your journey. Sorry to interrupt there. I know you have you have so much uh, different pathways that you've uh, that that your life has uh, has taken from, uh, as you said, words mm-hmm. and and body. Uh, I'd like to just you know break down kind of the writing uh, aspect a little bit more. And it's interesting to me that that early on you had this compulsion to, uh, to share the writing. Whereas I know a lot of young people are, you know, whether they keep a diary or whether it's, you know, mm-hmm. for themselves, uh, that being that, you know, that first piece was, you know, for, for your mother, uh, talk a little about where that came from. Uh, it speaks to me of, of that desire um, to take it off, off of, of, of a page and, and actually present your writing.
2: No, and I'm glad you asked that question. Um, it was just, like, a lot of things I started seeing as a child, even though I didn't really understand, like, the dynamic of um, of what I saw growing up. I was very close to my sister's dad growing up because my biological father was murdered. He was mm-hmm. um, murdered very young. So my sister's dad came into my life since I was nine months old. Mm-hmm. And then when his relationship with my mother started to deteriorate, it started taking a toll on me emotionally. I mean, this is the first man that kind of like gave me that daddy, you know, essence, that daddy aura and started something in me. So when I started being aware and realizing that the relationship is falling apart and I didn't really have much, you know, much say, so I started really writing and just realizing what my mother was still doing in spite of, you know, the cracks in that relationship. And that's how that letter to her got started.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate how... Um you know, even at that young age, you're able to find a sense of communication with those around you and reconciliation oh. with the, you know the other feelings that uh, she was being perhaps too strict, but you're able to understand, have the empathy towards understanding oh. her situation. That's quite advanced for a a young child. You know, young children tend yeah. to you know want what they want, and I think it's really great in how that flows out with your um, connection with with the divine. And we could talk a little bit more about kind of your understanding of of God and and how that's kind of fostered that, and how that kind of taught you perhaps that underlying faith, um, mm-hmm. and what, what schools of faith do you subscribe to, all this kind of thing, yeah.
2: Okay, so I started really going to church early as a kid, but it was the book that, it was. it's my favorite children's book of all time. It's called Emma and Mommy Talk to God. So my mother used to read this book to me as a kid a lot, and it got so much, it got just, She used to read it so much, like, you know how you have a book for such a long period of time and it start, like, you know, fading out because that's how much of that book we used to read together. And, you know, what it stood for, I was like, wow, like the essence of prayer. I was already learning that, like, five, six years old. And then my grandfather used to take me to church as well. So I understood what God can do in your life. And like I said earlier, after overcoming that hearing deficiency from six months to the first four years of my life, I'm like, okay, this is what this all being, this all knowing, you know, being in my life can change so much in the most gratifying way. So that's how like my faith really just started strengthening as a child. And then as I transitioned to preteen and young adult it was all about relationship, but that was in me. Like, my grandmother used to tell me the Lord's Prayer at eight, nine years old. Like, that was the prayer that we had to know as we started getting older because before it was like, now lay me down to sleep before I prayed it on my soul to keep. So after I got older, I started really learning the Lord's Prayer and different psalms and different things to read when things were troubling you. Um, Because some devastating moments in my childhood, I used to have really bad nightmares. So that 23rd Psalm, that was the song I had to read, Psalm fifty-two. That was the psalms that um, that was the favorite for my grandparents. So that's how that came about. And just realizing, despite when reality and you know hard times coming your way, you still want to have that everlasting faith. If even if it does go in your favor, even when it doesn't go in your favor.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it seems like this has to do with um you know, kind of dealing with the setbacks and, and recovering and, you know, finding purpose. That's kind of the themes that I'm hearing here. And one of the quotes you said in the pre interview questions question is about, um, you can't have big ups without big downs. And I'd love mm-hmm. to hear more about that and about how this uh, quote from, I believe it, you say from Jennifer, La- Jennifer Lopez, in uh, mm-hmm. an episode behind the music. So tell us a little bit about how, you know, kind of that quote has inspired you or under your understanding of, you know, dealing with setbacks and how we can all cope with setbacks uh, and find new purpose and kind of use them as like a propelling force to push us forward even more. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Like I, when I, when she first said it on the VH one behind the music, I was like, wow, that makes sense. You can't have big, sometimes your failures or the stepping stones or the real, you know, the guiding tools to help you get to your greater reward or get to your greater blessings. Like, blessings they come with battles mm. you know and it's another quote that actually one of my favorite singer Mary J Blige said the bigger the trial the bigger the blessing mm. and i feel like that tests your character that tests your strength that tests your faith and then when covid hit um massage therapy was like my main source of income so when covid hit um even though my significant other, you know, came in and stepped up to the plate in the relationship and said, I'm going to take care of everything while your um, industry is in the hooks right now or is on pause and you can start doing all your other um, creative projects. And that's how I came out with the John B book. But even though he said that I still had to have some type of faith, you know, I had to have faith in the circumstance. I had to have faith in him to even just say, okay, let's just, Let me just leave New York and just go to Virginia. Mm. I never thought in a million years I would ever be in Virginia. But the fact that I took that initial step and that initial faith and that initial sacrifice. Okay, I don't know what's coming for me in Virginia, but I'm just going to trust God. That's what that was for me. Um, I'm just going to trust God that he's going to guide me into the right places, the right steps, the right people that's going to help me get to my destination. Wonderful. So when I look at that quote from... J-Lo, like, even a COVID, a whole pandemic, and, you know, I've dealt with a loss. Like, we lost a cousin to gun violence last year as well. So all of this is going on, the, the pandemic, the police brutality, adapting mm-hmm. to a new state. You're living with your significant other for the very first time. All these different changes that you're going through, and yet you still have your faith. Yeah. That speaks volumes. And then you're not sure where the massage therapy profession is going to go. Mm. But you still want to make a name for yourself as a therapist.
0: Right. Um, yeah. And I, I, I want to get more into into uh, the massage therapy and kind of uh, how that, that world works and, and your contribution mm-hmm. to it, the way you've studied. Uh, before that, though, I, I, I love that you had that conversation even with your significant other and, and you know, that that, that open communication um, and, uh, you, you, you talked about kind of the pivot too there where, all right, your main source of income, you had to kind of move maybe into some other creative endeavors that allowed you to focus on those. Can you talk about mm-hmm. some of those specific other creative endeavors and, you know, how that kind of connects to some of your other, other areas of interest? I know you, uh, you, you wrote for some magazines and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, some, some of those other kind of things that, uh, that you were writing about or other creative pathways.
2: Okay, so when Massage took a hit because of COVID, I wrote my John B. book. So that was my first book that I came out with last year, The Biography of R&B Superstar John B. So I did that during the pandemic, and I was like, you, you know, I, I was telling, you know, my beau, I was like, are you sure this is what you want me to do? And he was like, yes, because he's a truck driver. So he was like, I'll take care of bills. You take care of small bills. I was getting my unemployment. So I was getting unemployment finally from, um, my position as a therapist. So I said, you know what, let me take the time to strengthen my creative muscle to take the time to strengthen my writing. Cause it's been, you know, a little while because like I said, massage was just so, you know, dominant at that time. And I wasn't freelancing as much because the COVID hit, you know, a lot of the hours didn't have the, you know, the resources or the income to, you know, freelance, and I did that briefly last year and then got into it again, you know, earlier this year, even though the hour didn't work out, you know, due create to, to creative differences, I was able to start writing again. I was able to start writing those articles again and still write my book and to get grants. Um, as a writer, you know, I was able to get a grant as a massage therapist, and I put, in, you know, all that time and that energy into my book. So I did that, and I also found out that the project I did with my college professor, we did a historical um, piece on Leffert's Matter, a subsection in Brooklyn, and with the journalist, Suzanne Spellian. So it was a it was a collaborative project that was released last year, and I also had an opportunity, and I'm still in the process of being a part of the National Women's History Museum about my experiences with COVID. So even though this is happening I'm still able to share my experiences and my story, you know, through through this difficult time. I also appeared on a massage therapy podcast during the pandemic. And as a new massage therapist, what was that like? Just getting licensed and then a few months later, your industry shuts down. Mm. So even though this was a tough situation, like I was still using my writing. I was still using that pen to jot things down and to write a book in the pandemic.
0: As well. Right. Yeah, I I keep going in my head of how how massage and writing they're they're kind of perfect complements to one another uh mm-hmm. in kind of both I guess releasing something, you know, within different parts of the body. Um could you talk kind of about, you know, how how those two things are are linked uh for you and and maybe even for for uh, I guess You know, when you're writing for someone, the way somebody's taking that in, as well as when you're massaging someone, how they're taking that in.
2: Well, I always say my mission is to facilitate people's lives with my hands and my words. So what that means is, is that I help people through my words. Like People understand. um, It's like I always said that journalists were always authors to the world, whether we're informing you, whether we're instructing you, whether we're entertaining you, we're giving you something. You know, it's something to think about, something to understand, something to comprehend. And it's similar with massage therapy, you know, with the the technique, the treatment that we're giving you. We're giving you a plan that's going to alleviate, you know, the psychological effects that, you, that that comes with the massage, the physical side of it. We're teaching you, you know, you should do this and this, look into this, so you don't have these, you know, mishaps later on. And it's funny that you say that massage therapy came into came in later in my life. It started when I was 17 and I was graduating from high school and my mother was like, okay, let me do something different other than just give her money and, 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 and just clothes. Let me just really do something different. And we went to a spa in Manhattan called Serenity. I don't even know if the spa is still there anymore. And my Italian teacher in high school named his daughter after the spa. Cause when I told him what the name of the spa, he named her daughter, he named his daughter Serenity. So, um, I get there and this is my first massage as a teenager. And you know, when you're a minor, your parent don't have to be in the room, but they have to be near the facility. So my mother was near the, near the facility and I got my massage and it it changed my whole dynamic. I was like, okay, this is, could be part of my self care. But I didn't think about massage therapy until I massaged my grandmother. My grandmother was a diabetic and I just did like this light compression on her. And she said, you're going to do something else with your hands. I'm like, grandma, I'm a writer. Like, this is what I do. She's like, no, you're going to do something with your hands. And, you know, I had cousins cause I was like a tomboy and they would tease me and they were like, yo, she has heavy hands. Like, and my grandmother used to say, it's okay. Cause those heavy hands are going to help people. Mm. I didn't think I was going to have a career as a massage therapist when she said that at that moment, because the writing came in. So now you know, 13 years later and going to massage school, I have two divergent careers that allows me to help people with my hands. Remind yeah. you, I didn't have massage therapy into my life until I was a teenager. I was graduating from high school. I was not thinking about the significance of my hands. And, you know, even when my grandmother first said it to me, I was like, OK. And then I but I kept it in the back of my mind because with my grandmother's wisdom, she was always right. Nine times out of 10, she was always right. And it's unfortunate that she didn't get the chance to see me get my license. But she was the one that kind of, like, put that in my ear. It was like, okay, you're going to do something else. You're going to have another career.
1: Yeah, I really love how um, when we talk about somatic writing, we talk about releasing in the body and how in the body we can trap so much, you know, in, in the tension and, and so much in the mind. And you, mm-hmm. as you were saying, when you had that first experience of massage, it's like it released that energy, had that creative flow, that luminous body be able to mm-hmm. really um flow properly so then you're able to see things more clearly i think in the body yeah. the somatic body um mm-hmm. you know we're able to get in touch with different aspects of our psyche different aspects of yes. our mind yeah yes now
0: is there do you, is there a dominant hand for for massage i'm thinking i'm just thinking like do right uh, are you lefty or righty
2: I'm left-handed. Left-handed. I do a lot of stuff with my left-handed. Yes. Yeah. Right.
0: So when when massaging, is there is there a dominant hand, or do you, do you learn to, I guess, use both equally?
1: I use both equally.
2: That's that's the that's only
1: different.
2: section of my life I use equally
0: huh.
2: is massage.
1: Right. Yeah. So everything
2: else I do left hand. I eat with my left hand. I and I think honestly. I drive I'm like cuz I just got my driver's license recently I think that's probably going to be the other thing I do equally with my hands
0: right um yeah. outside
2: of massage but writing and you know my other day stuff just with my left
0: hand cuz I was trying to feel if if it's like a left brain or a right brain dominant activity the act of massage of when you're when you're when you're putting that uh into but they into... have like
2: different categories of the section of the brain like the left side is supposed to be the more creative artistic Mm -hmm. um section of the brain and the right is more logical more um structural you know logical you know cognitive that's what they say um between the two the two sections of the brain
1: Mm. and which you find is more dominant in you it seems like you have a good mix of good mix of both right
2: Yeah, because a lot of of other people said, you know, because I was very good at a lot of other things. Um, One of my good childhood friends, he was like, you were very good at math. I'm surprised you didn't do something with math because math was one of my other favorite subjects in school. Yeah. But I didn't have that enough um, oomph to take it seriously, you know. Like, with writing and massage, it's a passion, you know, And, and I didn't have that for math. Like, I like math. I like, you know you know, figuring out different problems and different equations and solving them, but I did, it didn't fuel me like some people.
1: Yeah, it's refreshing so. to see uh, such a Renaissance person like you, so a Renaissance woman like you, because so many people, like, um, don't want to try. They want to put their offer right because they feel like, oh, I'm, I'm str- I have strengths in certain categories, certain areas of my life. And I just want to focus on that. But I think you believe in doing your best in all things and, mm. um, and being able to push yourself... So thinking about like how you can uh, guide people to discover their gifts and passions and and mission, um, you know, and, and, and how that can kinda of navigate that terrain of you know, always doing your best seems like is your motto, right?
2: Yes. Yeah, do tell us best, some more it will about guide that. You, do your best and it will guide you to the rest.
1: Exactly, That's exactly. Not yeah. yeah, yeah. And telling us a little more about like how people can discover their their own uh life mission, um, how you advise people to should they should they sit down and Write it out or uh, did you actually write down a life mission or is that something that's organically arising? It
2: has, I think it has to be organic. Like it yeah. has to be natural. Like you have to, is on the road to discovery. Like at before I was eight years old, I wasn't thinking about writing. It's mm. just my environment. Um, I knew that I was going to be a creative person. I just didn't know in what capacity. And then when I was introduced to that as a child, after having a conversation With my Uncle Ricky, I was like, okay, I'm going to be a writer. And then BET had a television show called Teen Summit. I was like, yes, I'm going to be a journalist. That show made me realize that I'm going to be a journalist. And even though I had that, I still did other things. Like, I played sports. I was in dance. I did tap. I did cheerleading. You know, that's one thing my mother and my pop, um, who's my stepfather, always encouraged us to do other things. Mm. Main thing for him, it was to stay out of trouble. You know, his favorite phrase was to keep your lungs clean. So what that was for us, you know, especially for those delicate years from eight to 14, we were doing something, you know, as a family, as children, we were getting into sports. We were getting into different things to stay out of trouble and to explore other creative attributes that you think will be good for you. And I'm so grateful that him and my mother did that because even though I was a writer you know, and that was in me and I said, this is what I'm going to do. All of those other subcategories made me realize, like, you know, there's nothing wrong showing your creativity in other aspects. Even though you're not going to do this long term, there's nothing wrong doing that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about journalism now since you brought that up, about journalism and interviewing various um, uh, people in the in the entertainment industry and, and outside of that. Um, tell us a little bit about your experience with journalism and how that also – What's your opinion on the state of journalism as well uh, today and how you contribute to it or how you're able to navigate that field of, you know, very much a charged discourse around journalism? Mm -hmm. Uh, We had a previous guest who kind of was questioning the legitimacy Mm -hmm. of legacy media, um, which, you know, is a complicated issue. But I'd love to hear your opinion on journalism and in general and your journey in journalism. Yeah. Okay.
2: So, like I said that television show on BET, Teen Summit, um, 1998, 1999, I decided I was going to be a journalist. I didn't want to be a television journalist, a broadcast. I knew I wanted to be in print. I knew that I wanted my words to have power and have meaning. And once I told my mother and my teacher, this is what I want to do, you know, because of the whole, you know, hearing delay, I had to take extensive, extensive speech classes. I was doing that. I was doing a lot of projects that were associated with English and writing all throughout elementary school. But I really didn't start writing articles until I was in high school. I went to Edward Elmorrow High School, graduated. And what they had, what we did in that program was that you had to take two journalism courses to make sure that you were ready to write for the Murrow Network. That was the newspaper. And um, I was accepted. I did very well in those courses. And I, as soon as I got into that, I was able to write about a lot of different You know, topics we wrote about HIV and AIDS. We wrote about sexuality. We wrote about you know students coming out. We wrote about graduation rates. We wrote about college. Now it was like because of the editor in chief I had. um, She's very popular. She's an Emmy winning journalist now, Ronisha Bing. She was my editor in chief while I was in high school and she had an opportunity to apply for a high school journalism workshop when Drake was on the, on the cast of Degrassi. That was the Canadian television Mm -hmm. show. And we had an opportunity to apply. And she said, we were in like Murrow was one of the teen high schools that were selected to interview the, the cast of Degrassi. And that was not an easy step too. Like we had to show her, you know, why would we want this opportunity to go with her? So, Not only did I was able to go with her, but I co-wrote the story. So Drake was my first first celebrity interview as a teenager. And that was massive for me. I was like, wow, like I'm interviewing uh, a celebrity. You know, when he was just getting into the industry and he was still rapping. And throughout college, I wrote different articles, I got into the freelancing. At first, it was just an extra credit project when I was in college because I wanted some extra points (laughs) in my courses. But then I really started understanding the significance of freelancing. And with all the celebrities I interviewed, it was honestly like right place, right time and networking and, you know, having that lasting impression because you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. So I always kept that in mind and researching the outlets that I'm interested in. So all those opportunities, it was, yes, it was because of the skills that I had in my experience, but honestly, it was like either referrals or the right place at the right time. I would definitely say the industry has changed for sure. I know other people are going into other subcategories of journalism. If they're not in the field anymore, they're going into um, communications associate. They're doing marketing. They're doing digital marketing, social media. Because of the digital landscape in the field versus 15 years ago, we were still having those reporters, you know, going out and covering stories and, I was able, I'm glad I was able to have that aspect of it as well, because to me, once you know how to once you once you're a journalist, you know how to write an article regardless and in any different realm of writing and media, you're always going to need a writer you're always going to need a strong writer in any different medium of journalism, and that's all, all the fellowships and the projects I've done it made me realize whether you're copy editing whether you're researching, you still need a writer you need a strong writer at that. So what I'm currently doing right now is I'm waiting on to see if I was accepted to the um, Will Joe Wilson Higher Education Media Fellowship. And I'm just elated throughout my college years and graduate years that I I explored other mediums and other different beats of journalism, and I was able to utilize my journalistic skills in nonprofit and higher education as well. So that gave me a whole different spectrum on how to write when you're working for higher education and working in the communications and marketing department as well. So my journalism journey has been very abstract. And at first it used to frustrate me because I thought I was going to be that traditional um, carry from sex in the city and have a column. That was my mind at 22 years old when I graduated from undergrad. But then by the time, I finished my master's and just really going through the process of a freelancer. I was like, okay, God must have had another plan for me because now I'm merging two of my fields that I love, and that's massage and journalism and writing and whatever else comes with that. You know, I welcome it, I embrace it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to talk then a little bit about how you've merged those two uh, during, I guess, a massage. Is there an interview process of who you're going to massage, uh, getting to know you know what might be tense within them as a pathway to help release some some of that uh, that tension? Is there words well, exchanged, I guess, or or is it or is it more of each body would be? I have a prescribed method with which we'll do that to the body.
2: Got you. Okay, so as you already know. I did my massage schooling in New York, so I had a thousand, I had to do a thousand hours to graduate. So you complete the program, you get to your degree, and then you get your licensing exam. So I, I took my exams for New York State and out of state. So I passed those on the first try, you know, thank God, because they're not easy to take, and they're not easy to pass, and especially for New York, if you fail it, they make you wait six months to take it again. So after you go through that process, and you start applying for jobs. You have the companies that are interested in you. They already know you're a new graduate. Um, they want to know what are the things that you've studied during massage school. So if they like you, the in-person interview, they do the practicum. So the practicum, you're massaging a person from 30 to 60 minutes. And the two times that I got, actually, the three times I got hired, there was only one Tom, I did not do a practicum. I was shocked. But the other two, I had to. And basically, they just want to get a feel of your hands. They want to get a feel of how you're paying attention closely to the body because everybody's body is different. Um, What are the techniques? What are the strokes that you're doing to make sure that this person comes out a little bit more ease than when they first started?
1: Yeah, the body has a story, and I think that... You know, we're able to key in on it, and you know, I think that I think you can speak. You're speaking to the idea that um, when we're responsive to what the story the body's telling, we can we can definitely uh, respond to that and and help with our with our hands, um, with your hands in in this instance. And I think it's really great how you're leaning into the 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 terrain of the world and how you're able to navigate it in a way that you're able to. you know, be, be strong in yourself and be able to, um, you know, find your truth and be able to navigate all the different terrains and do your best in each one. So, I think is very great. I just my remind listeners of the Truth to Power Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. We're here with co-host Scott Raven and guest host guest Dominique M. Carson. Um, we also want to get a chance to listen to a little bit of your writing. If you have anything on hand that you'd like to read, um, maybe a poem or a short essay. Um oh. Yeah, if you'd like to read anything, if you have anything on hand that you'd like to give a sample from your writing, that would be really great.
2: Okay. I think I have something recently that just published.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: So one of the outlets I write for is a lifestyle magazine called Spotlight on Recovery. So I just recently did um, a a tribute piece to my fifth grade teacher. So I did that. And, um, well, I'm not going to read all of it, yeah. but it's just basically telling, um, the positive influence she had on me as a teacher. So it's called positive things I've learned from my teacher and I'm just trying to see where I want to start. Um, I was a student at public school 202 from kindergarten until second grade. I did exceptionally well and was in an honors class in the second grade. However, once my mother and I found that I was not having Ms. Spano for third grade, I transferred out of the school. I was then placed in Public School 190, also known as my mother's school. When I entered the school for the very first time, I was known as Miss People's daughter, right before changing her last name. My mother was introduced to Miss Renee O'Connor, later as Ms. Barnes. I enjoyed the third grade because I met great classmates and I was Miss O'Connor's buttercup. She was the first person outside of my family who gave me a nickname and recognized my capabilities. I was off to a great start at public school 190, and fourth grade just sealed the deal. The school year just ended, and my mother started thinking about my fourth grade teacher and wanted me to have Miss Ellen Azragato. There was no room for negotiation, and she was not taking no for an answer. My mother wanted me to have the best and knew Ms. Adjugato will be stern, forthcoming, reliable, and knowledgeable about the subject matters. Ms. A gladly accepted her offer, and during the 1999-2000 school year, I was in her fourth grade class. Our room number was 4408, and a few of my third grade classmates followed me, which was a plus. There were also few classmates who believed that I was going to act like I was all that, because my mother was an educator at the school. But you cannot judge a book by its cover and became more receptive. With the constant encouragement from Ms. A, I was known as the pretty and kind-hearted nerd. Once we figured out each other's characteristic traits as students, we started enjoying Ms. A's overall teaching style. Ms. A changed my life a great deal, and I carried eight principles I have learned from her along the way. I know she touched other students' lives but I'm speaking from my personal experience. I'm grateful that I stayed in contact with her after graduating from elementary school in June 2001. I want to give a further explanation of these principles. Thank you. Do you you. mind me expressing those principles? Yeah. Okay. All right. So the first principle was, Embrace your therapeutic outlet. Writing, one of my writing assignments in Ms. A's class was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we learned the five steps in writing. The five stages were brainstorming, writing, revision, final proofread, and publication. Before we started the report, we brainstormed on different ideas that were associated with the subject. Then we created a list or drew a web once we decided on further careers. She recognized my one-of-a-kind personality as a writer and student and took advantage of every opportunity. The second principle she taught me, you can trust an adult outside of your family unit. Do not be afraid to cry when you're hurting. Make yourself a priority. Recognize your light despite circumstances. Ask for what you want, kids or people too. Challenge yourself outside the classroom. Always keep your imagination alive. Over the years, I needed to have an active imagination, even when I was not at school. My dreams were prevalent in my writing, and it's crucial for your mental health. With a striking imagination, you will have a better picture of your future. So these are just snippets of the recent... Um,
1: public uh, article I did. Yeah, uh-huh. great, great.
0: I Love those principles too. I mean, quite advanced for for a fifth grader, where I think most adults would need to hear that uh, just the same. Um, mm-hmm. And now, what what did do you remember? What you did put down as what you wanted to be when you were in fifth grade?
2: I was a journalist. I wanted to be a journalist. I, I had her. I had her in fourth and fifth grade. Mm-hmm. And when I was in the fourth grade, I wanted to be a journalist.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's really great. And I think that uh you're talking about the active imagination, how from the imagination comes this whole path and you being able to like you visualize and imagine who you want to be, what we wanna be and, and actualize that. And also being open to the to different terrain and, and having that um that essential identity uh vision. I think I think what what what's different here in this interview, as opposed to many other people, is we usually tend to think in terms of identity, but, um, you think in terms of like, um, you know, having a solid sense of self so that you can navigate that field and be open mm-hmm. to any, any potential, like being the journeyman, you know, the journey person, and then being able to like go through the field and, and have your light that you're able to shine in any, in any situation and be the best you can be at that situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rather than having a fixed identity, like I'm a journalist and that's all I do. You know that you have so many different things that you can do and so many yeah. capacity of so many different things that you have the have the heart centered that you're heart centered really you know yeah
0: yeah and I'd like to bring, talk a little bit about um, the therapeutic aspect of you know you you giving um, uh, gifts to to others uh, maybe some other kind of routines or uh, practices for your own for your own uh, mental health and therapy? Uh, I love
2: love when people ask therapists that question. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Because
0: you're you're giving and you're giving and you're giving. Mm -hmm.
2: It's a valid question. Because I think sometimes as as therapists, we get caught up on taking care of others Mm. and not taking care of ourselves. So I would say for me... Rest is so important, just not necessarily sleeping, but just resting, taking a few minutes for yourself, you know, especially when you're massaging a number of different bodies a day, a week, you know, sometimes those energies and those spirits can drain. It can be emotionally draining. So I would say that that's why for me, you know, with my faith and and my practice, prayer is important to me as well. Um, Just doing the things that's going to... Allow me to have a vibrant spirit, you know, as well, because I realized one thing I've always told myself once I became a therapist, whatever is going on in my personal life, good or bad, I do not bring it into the treatment room. Mm -hmm. I do not. That is a, that is a, that is a vow that I said once I became a therapist, whatever personal issues, good or bad, I don't bring it into my room. I don't because my energy could be transferring to that ther- to that client, and that client is not getting a fair share of what I can do as a therapist yeah. so that's more important to me is making sure that I'm make I'm maintaining that code of ethics and that code of standards and making sure whatever personal setbacks I'm dealing with outside of massage it don't come into the room.
0: How about on the flip so, side of that though what, do what about what the other person is bringing into the room? Are they, voic- are they well. voicing it or are, are they free to share it verbally or are yeah, they're you free
2: to share. like we've we've had clients that vent about everything. Mm-hmm. Like I literally you're literally going to have clients that just want to be touched. They want to be appreciated. They want to be heard. Right. We've had clients that share their personal problems and, you know. I, I make a joke to my coworkers. I say, I'm not a psychotherapist. <laughs> I don't deal with in, in your head. head. I just deal <laughs> with in your body. But this is the psychological effects of massage. You're facilitating a sense of emotional release and restoring that well-being. And then there's just some clients that don't want to talk. They just want, you know, they just want the treatment. I'm one of those persons when I get a massage, I I don't want conversation, very little conversation. But then you have the people, you know, that ask you, you know, just different things. As long as it doesn't violate Foundry. the code of ethics, yeah. Yeah. I don't have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you, unfortunately, you have those that are very, you know, simple-minded when they ask you about the the, um, the happy endings. And right. I've yeah. had to shut a session down for that.
1: Yeah. What about, yeah. Uh, like, crying or, or releasing emotion is that is that yes, something that I've happens? Seen yeah. That. Yes. Yeah. When I
2: first when I first started as a therapist, there was a woman that was just full of anxiety because she never had a massage. Mm. It was just too intimate, it was too personal mm. just giving her a sense of comfortability and understanding that touch is such an innate desire that people have. So that's why people are very wary of who touched them. And, you know, once I just did, like, this compression and just encouraged her, my energy, just encouraging her to, like, she's going to be okay, and then giving her the essential oil just to breathe and relax. Because so she was shaking in the session. And maybe within 15, 20 minutes, the shaking stopped. Mm. And yeah. I just checked in with her. I said, are you okay? Are you comfortable? Because a lot of times, you know, when a person shakes like that, it's like either they're nervous, it can be from trauma, it can be from a lot of different things. So you, as a therapist, you're going to have to have your own sense of judgment. And sometimes the textbook is not going to tell you everything. You're just going to have to use your discretion, use your judgment, um, use your people skills to find out the best solution in that treatment. Mm,
0: yeah. and And to talk a little more, I guess, about the, the boundaries going in—is um, that uh, relayed to to somebody in like a written document, or is it said at the mm-hmm. at the start? Just just yeah. so you know, both you and and they can feel the most comfortable.
2: Okay, so for me, I don't take anybody in the massage room unless they do a written consent. You have to tell me your history, your medical history, allergies, except all of that. I have to have a written documentation before I take. You into the room. That's just the law of massage. Then, when I'm in the room with you, I do a I do a verbal consent as well because mm-hmm. things could change from when you first did the intake form. So it's good to have a, a written consent, a verbal consent, and then you just tell them I'll be checking in with you throughout the session, making sure they feel comfortable, making sure they feel comfortable with the pressure, and they and you know and that's one thing I loved about my massage school. They teach you different ways. On how to word it so that person can feel comfortable and they don't feel straited in in the session. So, but you need that written documentation yeah. before you go in that room. It's just by law.
1: Very important. Yeah.
0: Now I I, I keep oscillating back between is massage uh, more of an art or or a science, and uh, maybe speak a little bit to aspects of both uh, what are some maybe of the artistic side of massage and and the more okay got to hit this muscle that muscle this muscle that mm-hmm. muscle
2: mm-hmm. it is a science okay that's why it's called a healing art profession because it is an art but it is a science meaning that you do not have to know your anatomy you do have to know your myology you do have to know your nerves you have to know how different muscles are interconnected yeah. You have to be prepared for those questions, especially if you're going to, you know, massage a lot of people that do a lot of manual labor activities. And it's a constant art that you have to study. Even mm-hmm. though you graduated, and you have your license. It's something that you are studying and sharpening your thinking and your knowledge because massage is an ever-growing profession. So even though I've been licensed now for almost three years, I still study. You know, mm-hmm. there's, I'm never too shy to say I'm eager to grow. So that's why it's a science and art. It is an art for me as well, because you put in your own originality, you're putting your own style to it. Like when your hands are on that client is your aura going into that client. That's why it's mm. an art. So it's like two therapists can do the same routine, but it can have a different effect Yeah. on that client.
1: That brings up so that's uh, why it's art. Yeah. When you bring up aura, it brings up like acupuncture and these kinds of, do you, do you believe what do you what is your opinion on um these kinds of related arts like uh, auras and and acupuncture and these kinds of things where they talk about the luminous body or the energetic body do you believe it what is, do you believe with that yeah yes
2: i believe in that energy is yeah. acupuncture is a whole different realm It's a whole different yeah. study it takes you know more years yeah. but it's all connected is is all it's what they call it complementary alternative medicine mm. so acupuncture massage yoga Reiki, that's all yeah. complementary forms of medicine. And we've learned also as therapists, is a modality of Koshiyatsu, and they have these different points that help people with exhaustion, that help people with headaches, that help people with digestion. And you can bring all of those elements to massage like once again, it depends on the therapist. It depends on how passionate they are in the field because after a while if you're not studying, you're not, you know, sharpening your thinking you start just doing the same stuff over and mm. over again. And that's how you get, you know, stifled. And that's not what I want to be as a therapist.
1: At yeah. All. So like you- I,
2: already, I already recognize my maturity from when I first started, you know, before I was in school, when I was in school and now. And I know I'm just going to keep elevating and growing from that nice. point.
0: And how about culturally? Is there, uh, is there a big difference between, I guess, uh, like a Swedish and a, and a Thai massage? Uh, yes.
2: Absolutely. Can you delineate
0: a huge, maybe a little bit? There's a
2: huge difference. So Swedish is um, a modality every therapist has to know. That's what they teach you in school. They, basically, you're learning how to perform a massage, which strokes do what. It's like the relaxation modality. So every therapist learns that. As time goes on and, you know, a part of, you know, your massage therapy journey, you have to do your continuing education classes to keep your license. So thankfully, because of where I'm from in New York, and I did that, I had more training as a student. So I got into oncology massage. I got into prenatal. I did hot stone. I did sports. All of that when I was in massage school. So I had all of that under my belt before Mm -hmm. I even got my license. And then once I got my license, I just strengthened my skills even more. So you have other modalities. You have deep tissue. You have prenatal. You have oncology. You have hot stones. You have salt stones. You have cupping. All these different um, modalities, and yet you could, and yet you're still utilizing what you learned in the introductory of Swedish massage, which there's different forms, there's different um, guidelines that you have to follow for each modality. But mm-hmm. Swedish massage is the introduction to massage.
0: Yeah. is Is that where massage originated or or the earliest history behind it? I'm not even sure if, like, um
2: well, massage has been around. It's been ancient. It goes back to Greece. It goes back to Egypt, but mm. there's um a Swedish man um, I can't pronounce his name Per Perling. that's the person that introduced massage. Mm. um Johan Mezeger, he introduced the massage strokes you have jay harvey kellogg like kellogg the cereal mm-hmm. allowed us to have a, have it as a profession mm. he popularized the profession
1: yeah amazing amazing yeah you know, it's amazing to go into like how the modern uh manifestation of massage in the sense of like the schools of massage you know people can can explore how that is different from just the act of massage you know as far as like the ancient cultures may have Understood that the, that the body, because a lot of times in ancient cultures, they were looking at the energetic body of the mind, is, uh, body is consciousness, but rather than, mm-hmm. you know, and then they started to explore you know, later in time, later in time, they started to explore how muscles and, and how anatomy and these kinds of things are more than scientific community that were, you know, kind of mm-hmm. explored. And then you, know, you have the, the institution of these institutions creating licenses and, and, you know, creating the practices that civic standardizing it, if you will, into a, a, a profession. If that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Let me, let me just hear the question one more
2: time. So
1: basically I was just saying, I was commenting on how, um, you know, we have the, the evolution of just like the, the body, uh, mm-hmm. schools, the school, different schools, as you're saying, it emerged in different countries. And, mm-hmm. um, so the question is basically is just like, you know, like, um, you, you mentioned a few people that, uh, just to clarify the people you mentioned were the ones that were in charge of creating their schools around, uh, the licensing and all that, you know, is that what you were mm-hmm. talking about? Yeah.
2: Like I was just mentioning the people that I mentioned, um, started figuring out the origins of massage. Like I said, massages, mm-hmm. it goes back to, you know, Greece and Egypt and Africa and even Latin and massage like massa Latin. It means to net, it means to squeeze. So, it goes deeper than that, but there was three men that allowed us to even consider their massage as a form of medicine, as a form of to help people. And as we got into the late 70s and the late 80s, things started to get, you know, with licensing and requirements and schooling and education.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly what, what I was getting
2: been into.
1: Yeah. yeah, exactly what I was trying to get into, a tease out. And um, yeah, and then also about how with the connection between mind body connection and your thoughts on that. it was like, you know, when we release, you know, are we able to unlock these muscles or be able to release the, the tension in the muscles that then our mind and our, are transformed and we're mm-hmm. able to, it's not just a question of like the body and mind being separate, but rather intertwined and, and very yeah. much connected. Yeah. And how are you able to release energy points and, you know, a free up pathways and seeing even, you know, and seeing, mm-hmm. it, and seeing it energetically. Yeah. What's your thoughts on that?
2: Um, So, for me, like, mentally and emotionally and physically, it all is connected. That's why it has so many benefits.
1: Mm. That's why
2: it doesn't have just physical benefits. It has psychological benefits. It has physiological benefits as well. And that's why they all intertwine. It's amazing how... This doctor, you know, this Swedish doctor, this gymnast, this teacher, you know, Pell wrangling I'm going to say his name, um, mm. just created such an amazing method that relieves pain, but then that has this emotional benefit as well.
1: Thank you.
0: Now, uh, getting back to kind of, you mentioned in, in childhood that you had uh, uh, issues with hearing, um, ha, do you think, in the, in a way, that has strengthened? I believe some of your other senses, your sense of touch. Do you do you feel that that is uh, enhanced slightly within you, or you're more in touch touch with that from that experience? I believe so. Mm. I,
2: be- I believe so. I believe so. I do. Um, I, I just, I just, I don't know. Like I said, when I got my hearing back, I didn't think it was going to be in this, you know, major element, but. Because when you're massaging, you you have to have some sense of awareness, just yes, because you don't want to touch a person's artery, you don't want to touch a person's vein, a nerve, etc. Yeah. Right? So that's the scientific aspect. But on a more emotional, um, psychological part, you have to be aware. You yeah. have to be paying attention to the body language. You have to make sure that this person is comfortable to yeah. do those
0: things. Yeah, uh, I, I'd I'd love to ask if is there any uh, usefulness or, or practice of self-massage. Now, I, yes. I, I know, you know, being being alone at COVID, don't want to put you out of business or anything like that, but but yeah, what can somebody do on their own to release tension in a particular area or, or, or some aspect of, of self-massage?
2: They can compress their hands. They can do... I wish I was in front of you so I could show you right. some of the techniques that they could do So because it's harder um, to explain over the phone without physically you know, showing you, but there's like movements with their hands where you're just gliding like a regular massage. Every person massages, they do. Um, I had to tell this to my mom when I was really going through my bad asthma and I was telling her techniques that she was doing. I was like, mommy, that's all forms of massage. She was like, Oh my God, Mm -hmm. like I was massaging and I didn't even know it. So we all have the capability to massage. It's just, you know we're doing it in a more professional element it's like everybody that can do their own hair but people go to a professional because they have the skills they have the knowledge they can tell you which ointments which creams which sprays not to use and it's like the same thing as a massage therapist so they can do um, the techniques you know how you knit dough right yeah you can do that with your own forearms you can do that with your own hands yeah. Because you're manipulating the tissues and breaking down those knots, so you Thank can you. have those self massages. It just it just kind of like difficult because I'm not in front of you. Yeah, and I can't show.
1: As as, as my listeners, but as we start to wind down the last few minutes, this has been radio, a production of uh, the Truth to Power Show, Radio for Brooklyn. Radio for Brooklyn is a five hundred one c three nonprofit organization, and we're mainly. Um, you know, kind of sponsored by listeners like you. So, if you'd like to uh, give a one-time donation or monthly pledge, go to slash donate There, you'll find some great t-shirts and mugs and other swag we'd like to send you to say thanks. You can also use your phone to text RFB123 to 44321. It'll take only a moment. You'll be able to use your digital wallet for your donation. Finally, if you shop on Amazon, you can go to amazon.com/smile. You register ready for Brooklyn as a nonprofit you wish to support. When you do a percentage of your sales will go to RFB, and it'll cost you nothing. So whenever you shop on Amazon, go to smile.amazon.com or amazon.com smile, and you can register Radio for Brooklyn as, a, as your donation. Um, if you're listening to Radio for Brooklyn um, while in front of your computer, please figure yourself up by going to iPhone apps, stores, or Android app stores, and download the free app. Uh, be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming RFP events. You can sign up to newsletter. And finally, Radio for Brooklyn is sponsored in part by My Choice Pharmacy, or bring Little and No Cost Medical Braces. More information is available at 844 598 6639 So we have about a minute left. So have any final thoughts or places that people can follow your adventures if you're on IG or if you're on any other uh, social media?
2: Okay, so my LinkedIn is Dominique M. Carson. My Instagram is Dom Carson90. My massage Instagram is dcarsonlmt and my Facebook is facebook.com slash dmc922.
1: Thank you, thank you. So any final thoughts for our listeners or any final words of wisdom from your, your journeys?
2: I would just say, you know, I want to say thank you guys for having me on your media platform to share my okay. story, to share my journey. I just want people to know that you have to be passionate about what you do. Yes, passion is important, but you have to understand that it's it's a journey. It's an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing passion to strengthen your skills and your talents because otherwise you get stifled, you get comfortable, you get disarray. So just think about that, whatever, whatever you decide to do. Yes, add passion, but understand that you must Put in the work, you must put in the time, you must put in the effort. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Thank you.
1: Thank because it's you.
2: going to show in your performance.
1: So beautiful. Thank you. All right. So, this has been Truth to Power Show every Sunday at 11 a.m. Hope you all join us uh, next time and uh, continue watching and keep following uh, Ready for org slash Truth to Power. I believe we'll be.